E.T. Aleko presents Once Upon a Shooting Star by Cirrus Malfoy. 1. On the night of the summer solstice, a shooting star crosses the skies of Oravka. It is so close the skies light up like the sun arose from its slumber, and every Ravkin awake stares at its passing with awe and wonder in their eyes, a wish in their hearts and on their lips. In the old tales, it might be said that a single wish fell from the lips of every Ravkin from every walk of life and that the combined hope of that wish is what caused later events to happen. But it is not reality, for no two hearts are the same. In the hearts of the poor came wishes for money, or food, or comfort, or a place to rest in peace. In the hearts of the soldier came the wishes of protection for themselves and or their best mates, or the downfall of the enemy, or new boots and warm clothes, or better food than the gruel and hardtack most of them got. In the hearts of the average citizen came wishes from all angles. Greed, and love, and hate, and sorrow, and longing. In the hearts of the royal family came the wishes of a long-lasting line. Power absolute. More power. More wealth. In the heart of one man in particular came the absent-minded longing for an equal. A companion. Someone to share his sorrows and his joys. Someone who could, even if only for a moment, lighten the burdens in his heart. This man was older than most would have thought at the sight of him, and the turn of the passing centuries had done his heart no favors. He was often regarded as a cold man, a monster in human skin, a demon masquerading as one of the Rathkin's many Grisha. He controlled the shadows and was called Darkling to his face. Never his name. Not even his mother called him by name anymore. All these different wishes, all these different needs, According to the old tales, it takes unity to invoke the divine, to invoke a miracle. Any star could tell it differently, if man had the ability to ask and understand. Unity was a nice thought, to be sure, and the few times in history that it had happened, there was a nice spice to the quality of power. But really, all that was needed was quantity. So many wishes, so much diversity, nonetheless united in their sheer want. The power invoked was mighty, drawing many stars to look down at Ravka and consider. So many wishes, many of whom contradicted each other. Well, that left a lot of leeway to the granter, didn't it? 2. The star chose to fall because she was curious most of all. She was young yet, younger than all the stars in the sky, not freshly made, but still newest in her light. Others had told her she was destined to be one of their brightest, one of the white queens once she aged, but the star did not want that. She wanted, more than anything, to belong to something. She had often wished she had been born a binary, but that was not to be her fate. So when she heard the wishes calling out from one little planet tucked away in a small corner of the universe, she'd been drawn. Drawn to their love, their need. Drawn to their greed. For at the heart of her, she was a greedy little thing. But most of all, she was drawn to the vast darkness that reached out above all of them, a void so hungry for companionship that she knew she could fulfill. And so, she fell. 3. There is a certain kind of magic in the art of falling. It is, more than anything, a process of change. Falling in love, falling to death, it made no difference. A being starts in one state and by the time they finish their fall, they are left in another, physically, emotionally, or both. 
Nothing or no one escapes the change. It is more immutable than death, for there are those that even death cannot touch in its cold grasp. The star fell, and in doing so, changed. 4. All of Ravka saw the falling star. The star fell into a fold, a deep, dark, dangerous scar born of fear and sorrow and hatred in the center of the country. The shock wave rippled throughout the unsea, shifting sands for miles around, unearthing dried bones and scattered skiffs of centuries past. All of Ravka feared, for nothing involving the fold could ever be good, all but one. The creator of the fold felt his empty heartbeat once, twice, and knew. Even before he made up his mind to investigate, he could feel it, a call that pulled at his shadows. He told no one he was leaving. He used the darkness of the night to hide his escape. They only knew he was gone the following morning, and by then it was too late. By then, he had already been claimed. 5. The star woke in a place of darkness, of shadow, of fear and sorrow and ancient loathing. Creatures twisted and wrong and terrible, called in the darkness, hungry and hating, circling. It was only her light, soft while she slept, that protected her. She takes her time investigating her new form, the soft golden brown skin, the delicate fingers, the long limbs, rounded gently and flushed with health, her soft teats and lightly rounded middle, her fingers exploring everything, gently at first, then pressing, discovering what pleasure and pain in this form is like. She has only known light and darkness before, for space is an empty thing and touch is forbidden except to mate. She flexes the toes on her feet and digs them into the sands beneath her and breathes deep. She calls her light. She watches it dance about her, spreading, spreading, rising from her pores, making her sparkle and glow like her skin is a vast emptiness of space with millions of stars contained within. And she laughs. 6. The Darkling races to the fold, drawn towards the northern tip closest to the Fjordan border. He does not stop, not even when the horse he's riding bulks the shadowy mass leaping off in a display of agility not many would have. He races, uncaring, heeding the call that even now tugs him deeper and deeper into his own creation. He does not hear the piercing cry of the Volcra that even now seek to hunt him down. He does not see their flapping wings or diving bodies. All he hears is the siren song echoing through the fold, bright laughter. All he sees is the glimmer of light that even now dashes towards him, a lesser man's eyes would be blinded. He cannot look away. 7. She hears the cacophony of the Volcra as they scream in triumph, sends the crisp, cold scent of his darkness reaching through the fold towards her light, feels the need in him, desperate and hungry. It is so strong, so overpowering, a craving that reached across the endless depths of space and pulled a budding white queen down to answer it. What can she do but answer? What could she ever do but respond? She is moving before she understands what she's even doing, one foot forward followed by another, arms spreading wide and her light singing as she pushes it further and further. 
8. He does not stop, cannot stop. He strides through the light that burns through the Volcra, the sheer heat of the light incinerating them. He feels nothing but a gentle warmth, and a part of him wonders at the duality of it all. He sees her before she sees him, eyes as dark as his own, golden brown skin that glitters with her own light, hair as white as sun-kissed snow. She is naked and young, almost too young, a part of him notes, with a human body that appears to be just at the end of its teenage years. But even if he did not know what she truly was, he would not be able to stop. The call in his blood drives him beyond almost all reason. There is nothing but her. There will be nothing without her. He will have her. He will claim her and let her claim him. And he will never be alone again. 8. Their unification is a beautiful thing in its own way. It is fierce and ungentle, a ferocious collision of two opposing powers, the unstoppable meeting the unmovable. The man carves out a space for himself deep within her untried body, ruining her for anything or anyone else, claiming her inside and out with harsh thrusts and bruising grips. The star in turn cleaves his heart from his chest and devours it, greedy beyond all reckoning for everything she can take from him, claiming him in turn, filling his void with light beyond all comprehension. She leaves her own marks, livid, bleeding scratches down his back, and sharp, bloody bite marks along his collarbones. They kiss, greedy, 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 devouring each other. They join again and again, twisting and twining around and around each other until neither is sure where one ends and the other begins. It is only towards the end that the softness comes in the form of gentle touches and softer kisses and slow, languid movements, and then both just staring as they couple, each filled with wonder and awe that they cannot contain. 9. You are like me. 10. The man leads the star out of the fold, covering her naked form with his own cloak. He finds his horse grazing peacefully in a pasture not far. Will you come with me? He asks her. She laughs, a sound that tinkles the same way her light glimmers beneath her skin even now. Of course I will, she says to him. You are mine now, and I will see this world you called me to. He cannot stop himself from smiling at her from touching her shining face and kissing her. He has never belonged to anyone or anything, and now that he does, he knows a true joy unlike anything he's ever known. He has known her for all of half a day, and already knows he will do anything and everything for her. He gets on his horse and pulls her up to settle in front of him. He does not go back to the little palace, his prison and his seat of power both. 11. They travel the world for a year and a day, arriving back to a Ravka torn even worse than before. West and East struggle for power, and his Grisha are little more than cannon fodder now that he has left the ruling family unchecked. In another world, he might have hated his star for taking him from where he had been needed, but in this world, his star grasps his hand tight and promises to help him fix it. 12. It starts with a fold, his star, 
His sole core lever walks right into the center of the mass of the dismayed cries of citizens and army both watching. They all know the black general, missing though he had been for this past year. So when he calmly follows, many are drawn by curiosity alone. The need to know is such a human thing. A call unlike anything any other creature in the universe will ever experience. Deeper and deeper they go, following the white-haired maiden and the black general. And then, a miracle. Light. Light rises and rises and rises. And at the epicenter stand the two, hand in hand, staring at each other as if nothing else exists. The darkness of the fold ripples and appears to be sucked into the shadows that cling even now to the general's feet. The people cry and fall to their knees as the fold is destroyed, tears flowing and arms outreached towards their new saints. Someone starts a hymn, words changed in haste. One by one, the crowd picks it up. It is a discordant song. Not a one amongst them can actually carry a tune. But there is a beauty in the sound, nonetheless. 13. Try as the nobility in the church tries to fight it, the people will not be stopped. They have within their reach the living saints, the light and the darkness, the balance that restored their country to wholeness. The people are tired. They are tired of war when their rulers rest in comfort. They are tired of meager portions when their leaders feast on delicacies they will never know the taste of. They are tired of scraping by when their leaders waste so much. Their living saints may not end up any better, but hope is a driving factor that none can deny. What is the point keeping to the status quo? The people argue to the others that were not there, that have not seen with their own eyes the miracle of the living saints performed for no reason other than that they can. Why are they here if not to effect change? And they have made of us no demands. It is our choice. Becomes a rallying cry heard across the country, torn apart again and again. Grisha come to their cause first. Despite that the general abandoned them, he is still their first refuge, the one and only who fought for them. With them comes the Oprishniki, who, in the general's absence, had been dismissed due to their loyalty to him. Various units of the first army come on their heels, and more follow when they see their compatriots fitted with new boots and better equipment, given better training and better food. 14. He gifts his star with everything she could ever want or need. He knows what it is like to do without. Knows what it is to starve or suffer coarse fabrics against his skin. Knows what it is to wear shoes that pinch. Knows what it is to be forced to sleep huddled against the cold. He wants none of that for her. Anything and everything he can gift her, he does. Flowers to tuck in her hair. The finest jewels and fabrics to adorn her body the best and brightest of his Grisha to be her companions. Anyone that makes her cry or turn to him with doubt in her heart disappears, though these are few and far between. 15. Will you name me? She asks him one day. The Darkling thinks long and hard on the request. Do you need one? He finally asks. The star thinks on this. No. She finally says, But I have noticed a curious tradition of naming things to make them owned. Parents name their young. Lovers give their partners nicknames. 
children you name their pets. She hummed. I would be owned by you in this as well, I think. He looks at his star, his sun, his guiding light. Alina, he finally offers. Star hums again. Alina, she tries. My name is Alina. She nods finally. I like it. What does it mean? The darkling smiles and draws her in, awed over and over again at how perfectly she fits in his arms. Bright, he whispers against her mouth. Beautiful. He purrs as he lowers her into their bed, and then he says nothing at all, determined to make her scream. Sixteen. She does. For him, she always will. Seventeen. What do I call you? Is one of the first questions she had ever asked him. The Darkling had no response for the longest time. So many lives lived. So many names he has taken as his own. He does not want to give her one of those. They are stolen names, not fitting for her perfect mouth. Nor does he hold any lingering attachment over them. For she is right, in a way. There is possession in names. To know someone's true name is to have some sort of power over them, limited though it may be. He wants her to have him in all ways, and so he takes the time to trace his memories all the way to the beginning, to a name he has not heard for centuries before the creation of the Fold. Alexander, he finally tells her. My name is Alexander. 18. See, the thing is that Alina is not human and Alexander is so old that he had forgotten what humanity actually is. They are other, and it is never more apparent than when they stand in front of a crowd, hand in hand, looking out upon their enemies. Light rises, scorching and burning and blinding, and beneath it crests the dark, cold and hungry and deadly. Their power is bolstered and made stronger by the other, and together they are made whole. Under their rule, Ravka does improve. Between the two of them, there is no need for the others to fight their battles. They have no use of armies, so they disband them. They have no desire to do battle, and no mercy to offer those that will rise against them, and so they obliterate them, though they are in their own ways as greedy and selfish as any man. Their greed is limited to what they use. They have no need for grand palaces wrought in gold and ivory and marble, or grand feasts that will mostly go wasted. A relatively small estate, large enough to house themselves, and a contingent of servants and guards and staff is all they claim as their own, and everything else is distributed where needed. Under their rule, people know peace. They know full bellies and warm clothing on winter nights. They know peace. 18. There will come a time when they leave Ravka, bored with playing king and queen saint of the sun and her starless saint. They will wander the world anew, forever young and forever bound. And when all time ends and the planet dies, the White Queen will rise anew within the empty expanse, never alone, for the dark void around her will be her beloved, her shadow. 19. Mine. Easy, I let go. Echoing tales of enemies to lovers. <laughs>